Uh, Galatians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Amen. Uh, we continue our series uh, in Galatians today. And so far we have seen that the Galatians are wandering away from the gospel. They've heard it. They've accepted it at one point in time. And, and yet now they are taking a different path. And Paul needs to convince them to return to the gospel. Uh, seeing this kind of thing might be very helpful for us. Uh, perhaps you know others that need convincing to return to the gospel. What does Paul say to convince the Galatians? Well, already so far he has reminded them of the gospel and he has called them to return to it. Uh, he has said that the gospel message is from the Father and the Son and it is a message that is unchangeable and irreplaceable. To change it or to replace it is to reject the Father and the Son, uh, to reject salvation, in effect to stop being a Christian. But the Galatians need convincing. They, they had the gospel message already, they accepted it before, but now they have taken hold of a different gospel they need convincing that the gospel message that Paul first shared with them was the right one. And if Paul fails to convince them, then they cease to be Christians. They cease to be saved. They might think that they are Christians, but they will not be. They will be placing their trust in things other than the salvation offered by Christ. They might become Jews in a way. They might become something else altogether. But given there is only one path to salvation, they will be lost. Perhaps they were never Christians. Uh, maybe they aren't the elect and, and as easily as they were convinced of the gospel message in the first place, they'll just as easily be convinced to depart from it. Perhaps they are simply immature Christians, unaware of the consequences of what now they're doing. Or perhaps they were never really convinced in the first place and are presently seeking some way to complete what they thought was missing when 
Paul first told them the good news. In any case, if they do not return to the gospel, they are lost. And Paul needs to convince them. And he starts with the origin of the message. For the Galatians to have taken a different gospel meant that they either didn't see the conflict with what Paul said or they chose to listen to someone else who they thought had more information or greater authority. So who the gospel message is from is critical. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is a message from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now Paul is saying that he spoke with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ revealed the gospel to him. It wasn't something he made up. It wasn't something that he learned from others. It was given to him by Jesus himself. It's not a rumour. It's not confused or lost in translation. It's not being handed down and handed down and filtered or faded. It was a message he received from the lips of Jesus. It makes it no ordinary message. Now, when we grow old enough, uh, one thing you might look forward to is a letter from the king or the queen. You can get it at 100. I think you can also get it when you get to 50 years in marriage. There's all kinds of occasions on which you may receive one. Uh, and on that day, you may receive letters from a lot of different people. Uh, but a letter from the reigning monarch... Uh, is something special. To have someone of such power and authority uh, consider you and write to you is special. But the message that Paul brings here is not from any man. It comes from God. It's a message that brings good news rather than judgment. It comes from God, the creator of the universe, and he has spoken to us through his son and he has granted us eternal life in him. And so it should hold the greatest place in our heart. This message comes from the Lord. And Paul testifies to that fact. Paul received it from Jesus while on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 26, Paul says, when Jesus appeared to him, he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up, on, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness for sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When Jesus appeared to Paul, he was not seen by others, but he was seen by Paul. And it was not a messenger or an angel, but Jesus Christ himself. And there is so much that Paul might have understood simply by the fact that Christ appeared to him living and breathing. 
but Jesus also spoke the gospel to him. The message Paul was to take was one of forgiveness and cleansing from sin by faith in Jesus. It was a rescue mission, turning people from darkness to light, taking them out of the present evil age ruled by Satan and bringing them into the kingdom of God. And having received the gospel and having been called to be an apostle, Paul immediately began to share the good news with others. Verse 15, Paul says, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I immediately went into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. See, Paul didn't need to learn anything from the other apostles. He didn't need to have uh, the interpretation of the scriptures given to him. He didn't need to refine the finer points of the gospel with those who had been apostles before him. He knew the gospel from that moment on. Now Paul was given the spirit of Christ, of course, and and no doubt as an apostle, the spirit brought to Paul's mind all the things that he needed for the task that he was given. But Paul was already being equipped uh, his whole life. Uh, He was raised... Uh, in a Roman uh, town. He was a Roman citizen. He was Jewish. He was given the best education the Jews had to offer. And so he ended up, he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, he knew Aramaic, he probably knew Latin. He was already equipped to speak to the nations. Paul knew the scriptures as well. He was well trained. But he had been without the gospel. He didn't have that. And the scriptures without the gospel are empty. It's like having a treasure chest of the most valuable jewels and not having the key. And you might be carrying it around and you might know it's really valuable, but you never really have access to it. All you can do is look on from the outside. And the scriptures can never be understood without understanding the gospel. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, they all speak of Jesus and the gospel. To read them while rejecting Jesus leaves them empty. Of course, before Christ, the faithful looked beyond the scriptures to Christ, to the coming Messiah, a coming kingdom and to eternity with God. And they sought a righteousness which was not their own and they sought it by faith. This was the gospel and the scriptures could only be properly understood through that lens of faith. But it was not a faith that Paul had shared before. He was a Pharisee. He was bound by the law, obedient to the law, and not just that of the scriptures, but laws laid over the top of that by men. He was bound to laws and traditions which tried to prevent even the faintest possibility of sin, to laws which even took the imagery of the Old Testament and turned it into practical necessity. But beneath all of that was a pride that said he was good enough and not in need of salvation. He was under the power of Satan. But with the gospel and the work of the Spirit, the scriptures are opened. They become all they are meant to be. 
with Christ before him and with the message Christ gave him, the scriptures immediately would read differently. To Paul, they would never be the same again. And he didn't waste a moment before fulfilling the mandate that the Lord had given him to proclaim the good news. In our earlier reading today, Luke says that upon his conversion, Paul at once began preaching the gospel in the synagogues, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul says he immediately went into Arabia, uh, which is the region to kind of to the east and the south of, of Judea. Uh, that was the territory of the Nabataeans. Probably doesn't mean much to you at the moment, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul's uh, preaching had led to such uh, change that the king of the Nabataeans, his name was Aretas, tried to have Paul killed. Such was the influence of Paul's ministry. Acts also said that the Jews tried to have him killed. Paul was not silent on the gospel. Whether Paul established churches in Arabia and Damascus is not clear. We don't necessarily have every letter that Paul ever wrote and Luke didn't record all that Paul did. But Paul was not slow to take up his calling to preach the gospel. So part of Paul's emphasis here is that he didn't need to go to Jerusalem first before he preached the gospel. He didn't need to go anywhere. He carried out his gospel mission immediately. He didn't need to see anyone else because already the gospel message was clear as crystal and he had been given the authority and the command to preach it to the Gentiles. And he could do this because he received it directly from Jesus Christ. Directly from God. Paul continues that argument from verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. The first trip of Paul actually to Jerusalem was interesting. Though Paul had begun preaching the message, it wasn't well known that he was doing so in Jerusalem. And even if news of that had somehow reached them, uh, it was treated with great caution uh, because Paul had been so anti-Christian before. Uh, in the end, um, he tried to meet up with the apostles and he had to be introduced by Barnabas. And even then he only saw uh, Peter and James for a bit. On the whole, he was there only a few weeks. Uh, but the book of Acts tells us that the whole time that he was there, he was preaching away and again being so effective that they... The Jews chased him out of town. Paul didn't get a second-hand gospel. He received it directly from the risen Christ. And he was empowered by the Spirit. He spread the gospel at every opportunity. And in the end, he got chased out of Jerusalem as he preached to the Grecian Jews and had to flee to Tarsus. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul rather lightly describes that, saying, Later, I went to Syria and, and Calicia. Paul was so focused on spreading the message amongst the Gentiles that he says, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Now, if Paul, following his commission on the road to Damascus, immediately went into the gospel ministry and he didn't need to consult with anyone else, then clearly the message he was bringing was from God. 
not something derived from men. He hadn't been in contact with any of them. And when he was, it was only for a short time. You see, this is, this is not a message with human origins. This is a message from God. Paul didn't make this message up. This was God's message through Jesus Christ. And this, this is of massive importance. See, many religions are simply made up. They're just invented. They're fantasies. Now, some of them are brought about by evil men intending to make earthly gains. Some are made up by hopeful men seeking something in eternity, but without God nonetheless. Some religions are brought about by the direct intervention of the devil and his like to misdirect and draw people further into wickedness and sin. But all of these things, they're all doomed to fail because none of them come from God. They are nothing more than vapour, nothing more than empty promises. But the gospel is a direct message from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And since the message originates with God, it's not a message that can be denied or altered or replaced. No one has that authority. It's God's message. It's not something we just believe or, or we agreed with or we made up or we decided. It, this is God who spoke and said these things. It's the official word of God. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Sometimes that's what people need to hear to be convinced. This is the message and it's from God. It's not just the origin of the gospel that proves it is real, though that ought to be enough. It's also the power of God in the gospel which authenticates it. See, on the road to Damascus, there were two amazing things that occurred. Firstly, Jesus appeared to Paul and spoke with him. That's amazing. Now, don't let the wonder of that slip by. Now, but secondly, Paul was changed radically. The one who persecuted the church was converted and became the very thing he sought to destroy. He became a Christian. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. Paul was one of the leading Jews of his days. He was one of these up-and-comers in religious circles. He, he was well-educated. He knew the scriptures. And as for zeal, he was the chief persecutor of this new sect who would eventually be called Christians. He persecuted these people more than any other of his fellow Jews. He would chase the Christians from town to town. He would try to get them to blaspheme so that they could stone them. And he regularly cast his vote to put many Christians to death. He was so zealous for the traditions of the Pharisaic religion, he breathed violence and murder against the Church of Christ. This, this was not faith. 
but pure religion. His trust was in traditions handed down from his mentors, his fathers in the faith. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but his trust was in his own righteousness by law, not in the righteousness that comes from Christ. He was not a Christian. He was anti-Christian, as anti-Christian as they come. He had hatred and murder in his heart for the very people that Christ had come to save. But Paul would not remain that way. He says from verse 15, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles, I immediately went into Arabia and Damascus. The interesting part here is that he says, it only happened when God was pleased. It begins and only ever happens at God's pleasure. This is not a salvation that was wrought by man. It was not a salvation uh, won by reason. It was the power of God. Paul says that even from birth he was set apart to be converted and to be, you know, and to be commissioned to be an apostle. His whole life to this point had been a matter of God's planning. He was set up to be who he was going to be. But it only happened when God was pleased. And not after. Not before. But when God was pleased, he finally revealed his son and Paul was saved. None of this happened without God's will. And since it happens at God's pleasure with his timing, it can only be because it happens with his power. It's actually the same for any of us. When Paul says Jesus, Jesus rescues us, he means that we are unable to help ourselves. We are never saved by reason and logic. We are never saved by our own smarts in accepting the gospel message, like we were just cleverer than others. We aren't saved because we decided to be saved. We are rescued by Christ and the power of God according to his will and timing. Paul was not the same once he met Christ. He was a changed man. He now differentiates between the Judaism he used to follow and the church of Christ to which he now belongs. And he changes from this chief persecutor of Christ's church to an apostle even of Christ, carrying the very message he hated to a people he tried to destroy. He has moved from hatred and persecution of Christ to love and service for Christ. There is no greater example of the power of God in the New Testament for the changing of a man from an enemy of Christ to a servant of Christ. We, we all know that we were at some point enemies of Christ and that he rescued us out of love and grace. But sometimes we still have this mindset that means that when we see someone who violently opposes the church that somehow they are beyond saving. 
Paul was the most violently opposed to Christians and most zealous for the Jewish traditions in those days. He was the church's greatest earthly opponent. And yet, by the love and grace of Jesus Christ, he was changed. He was rescued. He was saved and became a great servant of the church and of Christ. And in light of that, we can never really give up on anyone. We should be praying for our enemies, praying that they might be changed by the power of God. And this is something that you can do because God can and God does change them. Those facing the deepest persecution in other countries have sometimes found their persecutors dramatically changed and joining them in being persecuted because the power of God worked miracles and wonders in them. And so you need not feel that anyone, not those who have been estranged from us, not those even who have persecuted us, not even those who have wandered away from the church, should never think that any of them ever are beyond the saving power of God. Paul was changed and he was the church's worst enemy in its youth. The power of God was brought to bear upon Paul and he was changed. Others can be changed too. This is the power of God in the gospel. It has the power to change people. It has the power to bring them to repentance. It has the power to pull them out of their subjugation to Satan and into the kingdom of God. It has the power to save. It has the power to take enemies of Christ and bring them salvation in him. For Paul, this was a powerful testimony to the Galatians of the power of God in the gospel. Perhaps we don't have much success with reaching out to others because our lives don't always reflect the power of God and the life-changing message of the gospel. Well, we haven't all been like Paul, but it doesn't have to be a radical transformation in your life either. Maybe you've been a Christian since your youth and you know, telling people of the wrong things you did as a kid doesn't really say much more than we grew up and threw away childish things. But regardless, every Christian should stand in stark contrast with the world. The world is full of sin and wickedness. The world despises God. They alter his commands. They throw away his gospel. They don't live out of thankfulness and service to Christ. They don't live in service to Christ with gladness. We ought to be different. Are you different enough that people can tell that you're a Christian? See, too often we are content to be as good in life as the average sinner. Even if the differences are spotted in us, sometimes we just let the opportunity pass or we hide it. When they are surprised at our act, we say, well, I'm only doing what's right. 
as if anybody actually would do what was right. We say something like that rather than say, it's my pleasure to do this for the Lord's sake because he rescued me. Of course, it's really hard to say something like that because we don't like being exposed. And we kind of hope that someday someone will ask us the direct question and, but we rarely give them the opportunity. See, the testimony of the power of God in our lives is something that God does use to convince others of the truth of the gospel message. It's why the Bible says elsewhere that we need to be ready to share the reason for our hope. Because our hope should actually be visible to others. Paul brings up his conversion and the radical nature of it because the power of God was on display and that proves the gospel that he brings is powerful. It's from God. And it brings the power of God to bear. If we are to convince others of the truth, then these are our two testimonies. The gospel in the word of God and the power of the gospel in our lives. These are the things we can bring to bear to reach out to others. Our lives ought to speak volumes about what the Lord has done for us. And the gospel message has the power to save. It's a message from God to everyone. It's a message of grace and peace, a message that tells you that your sins can be forgiven and that you can be rescued from this present evil age. It's a message we should be sharing, not just with words, but with our deeds. May the Lord help us to share our hope with others this week. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for all that we have in Jesus. We thank you uh, that you did speak to us. We thank you that you have rescued us, taken us from this evil age and its power over us and brought us into your kingdom. Our Lord, help us to, uh, to be uh, light for this world, help us to be salt in this world, help us to, to be different. Lord, uh, we pray for those about us that uh, we have been sharing the gospel with, uh, family members, uh, friends, neighbours. Lord, uh, we pray that you would be at work in them, uh, helping them to see the truth. Now help us too, Lord, to, to preach your word to them, to say it, speak it. Help us to have the opportunities. And help us, Lord, to live our lives that others may know our hope, our belief, our knowledge of all that Jesus has done. We pray these things in his name. Amen.